Have you been affected by the suicide death of a beloved friend or family member? If so, you're probably facing many unanswered questions. We hope to discuss some of them today. This is What My Son's Death by Suicide Taught Me About Life with your host, Marshall Adler. Marshall lost his own son, Matt, at the age of 32 and has since dedicated his life to talking to people who have also been affected by suicide. Now, here is Marshall Adler. Hi, this is Marshall Adler, and I want to thank you so much for listening in for today's episode. I want to tell you about my very, very, very special guest. He's a very good friend of mine, somebody who has been incredibly helpful to me and my family, my wife, Debbie, dealing with the grief process that uh, we had to go through with the loss of our son, Matt. And he will tell you many, many interesting, incredible stories about his own life with his own family. But I want to sort of give you some background on Steve Smelsky, who's my special guest today. I'd like to introduce Steve by sort of telling you how we met. As you know, our son, Matt, passed away on July 22nd, 2018. After the shock of Matt's passing, we were in a position where we know we had to deal with the grief process head on. We knew that this was something we could not do on our own. We were stunned for about two weeks and I couldn't talk to anybody about anything. We were fortunate enough to get a very good friend of ours, a grief counselor, tell us about an organization called GriefShare. GriefShare is a wonderful organization that helps people deal with the grief process. We were so fortunate that the local grief share was run by Steve and his wife, Shelly. And they were the first support group that we were exposed to to teach us how to survive grief. They were an absolute godsend. They could not have done a better job telling us about this journey that we never thought we'd be on. I will tell you that the first time I met Steve, he started the meeting with words that will never, ever, ever leave me. I never met Steve in my life, just lost my son at this meeting at a church. And again, remind you, I am Jewish, but this was at a church and I was well, ready, willing, and able to listen to anything anybody had to say there. And this very nice man who's sitting right to my left today, Steve, starts out this course on grief by asking how many people in the course had actually taken coursework on grief. And I looked around saying, are these people going to raise their hands? They've taken courses on grief. And of course, nobody did. And Steve knew that because he knew nobody would ever take a course on grief until you're in grief. And it made me realize that all of these other people, they seem like very nice people, were there to learn a lesson of how do you survive grief because none of us had dealt with it before. Although all humans will deal with grief because if you live long enough, people you love are going to pass away and you will grieve them. Or if you don't live long enough, you're going to pass away and people are going to grieve you. It's just the reality. And 
Steve's opening really made me learn lessons to this day that I'll never forget, that nothing is permanent. Everything is temporary in life, including humans. That you own, no, you own nothing. You don't own your own life. You don't own anything, any possession. Everything is rented because everything is temporary. And Steve had a wonderful ability to make you think about what this journey of grief was all about. And I many, many, many times asked the question, why? Why did we lose our son? And I will tell you that, I'll tell you a quick story about my parents. My mother and father lost two children. And there were two brothers. I really didn't know either one of them. They were very young uh, when they died. But my mother, after losing the second child, asked my grandfather, my father's father, why? And my grandfather said, why not? This was a tragedy, but it was your tragedy. If it happened to the neighbors, it wouldn't be any less of a tragedy, but it would not be your tragedy. What makes you think that you're so special in the totality of the universe that you're not going to have grief or sorrow hurt, hit your family? And I, after listening to Steve and all the stories that he was able to tell us through Grief Share, I realized that my grandfather was right, that as humans, we're all going to be dealing with grief, and we have to learn how to deal with that. So I think I've talked long enough here, and I want to introduce my very good friend who has been an absolute godsend to me and Debbie and our family dealing with grief. So I just want to introduce you all to Steve, and I'd like to have Steve basically tell his story about his son, Jordan. So Steve, I'm just gonna turn over to you. And again, if you could be so good to tell our audience what your journey of grief is all about with your son, Jordan. Uh, thank you, Marshall. Um, I, I think you've been as much a help to us as you say we are to you. Um, our journey began a little over five years ago. My wife, Shelly and I, had been married for a few years and um, we started a family late and Jordan was born in 2002 and uh, every year we would go on a pretty nice vacation and when he was 11 in 2014 we uh, vacationed in Costa Rica for the second time and Jordan was the type of kid that could scare you as a parent because he had no fear his friends used to make him go on the roller coaster first to let them know if it was okay for them to go. And he had no problem riding that roller coaster in the front row by himself. So he'd always be the first one to jump off of something. He could ride a horse and he'd scare us when he did that. He, uh, he'd always want to go first. And that year in 2014, we returned to Costa Rica. We'd been there three years before. And we stayed at the same resort we had been at. And he and I spent one afternoon swimming in a pool at the resort. And uh, I actually think it was probably the best day he and I spent together as a dad and a son. And I just didn't realize it was going to be the last day that we would spend. He and I swam in that pool for about six hours. And it had a water slide. 
and going down, you couldn't go down the slide without having water splash up in your face and in your nose and in your mouth. Uh, you'd have to close your eyes at the bottom of the slide. Well, that pool was filled with hot spring water. It was about 96 degrees. And at the time, we didn't know that it wasn't chlorinated. It was hot spring water. They'd pump it up out of the ground. And they'd go down through a series of waterfalls. The bottom pool had the water slide. And he and I spent the whole afternoon going down that slide. He wore me out and about 10 other people. But he had a great time. He was making up games. And uh, we went to dinner that night. He woke up the next morning and he complained of a headache. So we had taken Motrin with us on our trip and we gave him Motrin and he seemed to be okay. That next day, we left that resort and drove back into San Jose in Costa Rica. We stayed at the Marriott there and he said, I just don't, I, I got a headache. I don't really want to do much. So we didn't do anything after we got to the resort. They did have a pool. We didn't go in it. And then the next day we woke up and he complained of the headache again. And he said it was a little bit worse. And he said, I just, I just want to lay around and play my games on the iPad, Dad. And I said, all right, that's fine. So it was a down day for us. We were leaving the next day, which was Friday. And we didn't do much. And we walked around the pool a little bit later and he complained of his head hurting. Uh, we woke up Friday to fly back uh, to the U.S. And he complained again. We gave him some more Motrin. Um, he wanted some takeout food after we got through customs back in Orlando, and he he wanted takeout uh, Italian food because he, he didn't really care for the food that we had in Costa Rica, and he was an Italian kid for sure. He wanted his Italian meal. So we took some takeout home, and he didn't feel good, and he went to bed early. Well, he got up early Saturday. He was playing some of his games, but by afternoon, he started laying around, and we knew something wasn't right because he... He said in the morning he wanted to play with his, his best friend and have him over. And we said, oh, you got the rest of the summer vacation. And we said, why don't you just take it easy today? Well, by afternoon, he was holding his head. He was complaining. We had dinner. We watched a movie. Um, he had been bugging us on the trip to watch an R-rated movie. And we said, yep, as soon as you turn 13. So we ended up watching a movie with him. He wanted to see... Um, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. So we saw it that night, and then he went to bed, and about 11 o'clock, he woke up vomiting. And Shelly was up with him for half of the night. She came and got me, and she said, he, he, he's not stopping vomiting. And so I spent the rest of the night with him. We agreed by morning to take him to the emergency room, and that was Sunday. We took him to the emergency room. Uh, he was complaining of a stiff neck. They did a lumbar puncture. They said, the fluid's clear. That's good. They did a CT scan. They said, that's good. Uh, we think he's got viral meningitis. You'll take him in, home in three to five days. We're going to admit him. So they transported him in the ambulance down to the children's hospital. I went home, got a little bit of sleep, picked up some clothes and stuff, met Shelly early Monday morning, and he actually seemed better on Monday. We um, took turns taking naps, and one of us would stay up on the bed, and he, he and I joked all afternoon on Monday. And at the time, we didn't realize it, but it was like God gave us a few hours back where we could just be dad and mom and son. And we, he was joking, he was laughing, and we felt like we were going to take him home. About 9 o'clock that night, his headache, he said, was a 9 on a scale of 1 to 10. He couldn't stand it, and then he started hallucinating. They got him some morphine, and we laid on the bed with him for the next four and a half hours holding his limbs because he couldn't control 
his arms and his legs, they, they moved uncontrollably. His pupils dilated. He was seeing bugs crawling on the ceiling. Um, it, it, it was probably the most awful evening we've ever had, other than a couple days later. He um, finally arched his back, rolled over on his side, had a seizure, and the ICU team came in because we'd been trying to get the nurse to come in to see him. They transported him down a couple floors to ICU. Uh, his sodium level was low. They gave him some saline solution. They got him stabilized. And then they came around in the morning and they said, well, he's good now. It's not going to be three to five days, but you'll take him home in two to three weeks. But he'll be fine. We've got everything stable. By Tuesday night, it got worse again. Uh, by midnight, they were afraid the swelling inside of his uh, cranium was going to push his brain down on his brainstem, in which would feel, that would be fatal. It would actually kill him. So we gave them the okay to have a neurosurgeon put a little drain on top of his head. And in that sample, they saw some movement and they found the amoeba. And I know the press likes to call it the brain-eating amoeba, which is exactly what it does. And it enters through the nostrils. It attaches the alpha-olic nerve endings, goes through the cribriform plate and the two front lobes of the brain, and that's what it does. And it's called Nigleria fowleri. We didn't know the name of it. And it causes a condition, a swelling of the brain, called primary amoebic meningoencephalitis. So they relieved the pressure, and they ordered a drug from the CDC out of Atlanta. And they said, why don't you get some sleep? You're going to have to make some decisions in the morning. And they woke us up after two hours, and they said, look, he's as far as we can keep him right now. And they said, we need to make a decision do we continue to manually resuscitate him, basically press down in his chest to make his heart pump the blood and, and feed him oxygen until the drug arrived? And we asked the doctor, if it was your son, what would you do? And he said, I wouldn't do it. So we called our families. We asked for advice, and they all said, we can't give you any advice on that. It's up to you. So we called our family and said, you need to get in here quick and within 30 minutes we had eight or ten of us around the bed and Shelly said if if there's anybody here that thinks we should not do this and manually resuscitate and please say something and nobody did so we had them unplug several things connected to Jordan in the bed and we held his hands as he took his last breath and he died at 6.35 a.m. on Wednesday morning, seven days and 12 hours after he swam in that pool in Costa Rica. We, um, we, we, we didn't hang around very long. We ended up going back to our house. And uh, that's when we were initiated into the grief process. We uh, had a lot of support from our family and friends. And God gives you that one thing that, helps you get through that time and that shock because without shock I'm not sure we could have made it through the funeral but that doesn't last very long Steve I I could hear your voice and I could see your face that I know exactly how you feel because hearing your story it just relates to my story losing a child as we both know is something you'll never get over and that's why you have been such a godsend to us because your grief started with the loss of Jordan. My grief started with the loss of Matt. And I'd like to delve more into that. Unfortunately, we've got to take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk 
with Steve concerning the grief process. We'll be right back. Thank you. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Are you looking for a happier, healthier, and more fulfilled life? Do you want your business to thrive? Do you want to enjoy better relationships and find your purpose? Tune in every week to Stepping Into the Tenda Dao Chung Life Transformation with Dr. and Master Shaw with host Diana Gold Holland, who will share the wisdom of Master Shaw. You'll hear from inspiring teachers and listen to testimonials about life transformation. Stepping Into the Tenda Dao Chung can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. in the West and 6 p.m. in the East on Voice America Empowerment. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Please join Dr. Sarah, a.k.a. Dr. Red, on an amazing journey of love, soul, abundance, compassion, and authenticity. Dr. Red is a well-renowned healer, hypnotherapist, author, and speaker who has overcome personal challenges to emerge stronger than ever before to reach out to you and heal you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually for the most informative and enriching experience filled with unbridled laughter and insights on life, health, culture, and society. Tune in to Dr. Red's. Says, Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned into What My Son's Death by Suicide Taught Me About Life. If you'd like to send Marshall Adler a question or comment that can be addressed privately or on a future program, please send an email to marshalontheradio at gmail.com. That's marshalontheradio at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. We're back. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Steve, thank you for opening up and telling the story of Jordan. I know he's a wonderful human being, and I wish I had the honor to meet him, but how did you decide to go on after this because I, in our first episode, I told the story of the fact that when we were picking out Matt's headstone at the funeral home, I got the call that my mother passed away and we were so numb that I lost my son and my mother within 48 hours. And then we actually went to the gravesite where we were going to lay Matt to rest for eternity. And Debbie and I had to make a decision right there and right then, what do we do? Do we go on? Do we not go on? Do we decide to make our life a tribute to our son? And we decided we're going to go on, live a meaningful, 
full life of helping people just as our son Matt would have wanted us to do just as he did in his life. And we want to make our life a tribute to our son Matt doing good work that he could no longer do because he was no longer here. So my question is after this loss of Jordan, how did you and Shelly decide what to do to go forward through the grief process? Well, it's interesting that you bring up the point of whether you actually make the decision that you're going to try and face it. Um, actually, Jordan left us something, and we didn't know it. So he had just finished up fifth grade at Wilson Elementary uh, before we went on vacation. And Jordan was a very good writer, and he wrote a lot of short stories. He, was, he won a couple awards for his writing. He was recognized for it. I was the sports dad. I really wanted him to be recognized for baseball or soccer, but his writing was phenomenal. And we, we gave him $20 for a class project where it's a series of short stories they put in a hard uh, binder ba uh, book. And he brought it home from school, and we were leaving on vacation a couple days later, and we never looked at it. And as we were pulling some of his things together to take to the funeral home, we we knew we had to try and write an obituary and we didn't know how to do that. And like, there's no, there's no way to take a class on grief before you lose somebody. There's also no way that nothing can prepare you for trying to write an obituary for your 11 year old son. And Shelly brought some of Jordan's books out and there was that book of short stories. She opened it up in a sheet came right out and landed on the counter. I, I wish I had a video because if you could have seen the look on her face, we were like, what is that? And we look at it and it was set and it said something that Jordan wrote and it was about the author. And basically he talked about how lucky he was, how good his life was. He was blessed to have a great mom and dad. Um, his teacher said that he should be a salesperson because she thought he'd be a good one. He talked about us and he loved his mom because she was so caring and he loved me because I cooked for him. And uh, Jordan was a meat eater. He liked his steak medium rare. And he was very particular about what he ate. Well, he also made a statement and he said, God gives you one life to live. You better use it well. And then he said, I have another motto that I like, which we have on our foundation page. And it says, when life gives you lemons, you squeeze them back into life's eyes. This means never give up, Jordan Cole Smelsky. And when we read that, first of all, we knew we weren't going to write anything for the obituary. We we're going to give this to the pastor to read to everybody because he, he wrote about himself and we couldn't have done it any better. And number two, we felt that second motto was for us not to give up. And it's, it's kind of interesting that he wrote that because we never heard him say it. And yet he wrote it. So that kind of gave us the incentive that he wants us to go on, never give up, ever. And we had to figure out how to do that. Well, I'll tell you, you've done a fantastic job, not just through Grief Share, because I know you have a wonderful foundation. And if you could tell the audience how your efforts to the foundation literally is changing the world 
with respect to medical treatment of this amoeba and actually saving lives because I am amazed by what you've done with that. Oh, thank you. We, um, we're trying to figure out where we went from there. While Jordan was in the hospital, we, we Googled the CDC site after we found out what it was and got some information. But there had been three cases in Orlando in 2007. We knew it was in the lakes. We wouldn't let Jordan swim in the lake. We didn't know it was in hot spring water. And at the time Jordan died, it was almost 99% fatal. There had only been two survivors in the U.S. That, that went back to our normal life. And we were trying to – and then – we're trying to figure out what we wanted to change. And it's interesting when you go through this four day battle where you don't sleep very much and you're trying to figure out how to save your son's life, you make a bunch of mental notes. Well, we actually came up with a top 10 list of what we thought needed to change. And we asked to meet with the hospital and it took us about three months to get the meeting set up. And I know they were wondering why we wanted to come in. But we said, look, we found out that Jordan was the fifth child at your hospital that died from this because it's almost always fatal. We want him to be the last one that dies. And if we don't work with you to change it, nothing's going to change. The next child is going to die. So we shared with them the top 10 list and we started down the road of trying to change those items. And it's amazing how accurate that list was the first time because when you consider us and our family were in grief and we talked about what we saw and the questions that we had, we came up with a list and it was spot on. We did find out that two of them, while they were a good idea, they, they didn't hold up once we, we funded research on one of them and we found out through another process that the other one wasn't valid. So we worked on the eight that were and we worked with the hospital to change the care pathway setup. So when you go into an emergency room and you complain of a headache, a stiff neck, they're assuming it's some type of meningitis. And we got them, because what Jordan died from looks very much like meningitis, we got them to put alert in the system that asks, have you had freshwater exposure up the nose within the last 14 days? If you have, it alerts the lab techs to start looking to see if they see an amoeba. And you can actually start treatment right away if you can find that. Now, the treatment for having the amoeba is pretty invasive. It's gonna be very difficult to get a parent to say okay. But if you can identify it, then it's easy for the parent to say okay, I know they're gonna die unless I say yes, let's try it. So we actually put a video together of the two lab techs that found uh, the two positive outcome cases, and we now have that on our website. But one of the, and we also work with the two health departments here in Orange and Seminole County, Florida. We work with uh, Florida Hospital for Children. We worked with uh, all, all Children's Johns Hopkins in St. Pete. We had a couple doctors in from Nemours. We had a couple doctors in from Lakeland. And we all worked together and talked about the case that happened the year before and what they did. Well, one of the lab technicians was in the audience that day. And 11 months later, she was on duty when a young boy from South Florida came up to one of the Disney theme parks. And he had such a bad headache and a, a photophobia that he actually went into the emergency room with sunglasses on inside because even the lights turned off in the room hurt his hurt his head and he had a severe headache. 
Well, she spent a couple extra minutes looking at his CSF fluid on, under the microscope, and she identified Nigleria falveri in his sample, and we started treatment immediately, and uh, less than a year after that first amoeba summit, Sebastian de Leon became the fourth survivor in the United States. He was a 16-year-old boy from South Florida. So that's kind of the journey we've been on, and now we're trying to spread it globally and trying to make more hospitals and doctors and lab techs aware. That's incredible. Can you just tell the audience about the doctor in Spain? Because I think it's incredible showing you how your kindness, your warmth, and your humanity with modern technology has really changed the world. Yes. Um, we, we set up a Facebook page uh, called the Jordan Smelsky Foundation, and we, we set up a website, and um, we share information on the Facebook page, like the training videos. We've got those on our website. Um, at one of the summits, we, we had all the doctors in, so we came up with the idea of doing 12 short videos, which, which we call Q&A with the experts, because we figured parents would probably listen to the doctors a lot quicker than they would to us. So we put that series together. What you don't realize is the reach that you can have through social media. And about nine months ago, we had a doctor, uh, Dr. Jacob Lorenzo Morales from Tenerife, Spain. He's at the university there. He runs the lab at the university. He travels the world uh, meeting with different labs in most of the Asian and African countries. And he reached out to us and he asked us if we would consider going to what they call the Free Living Amoebas Meeting 2019, which is going to be in Costa Rica this year in November. And he said um, the organizers in Costa Rica wanted to have a day that they dedicate to Jordan on that Gloria Falleri day. And they wondered if we would give him permission. And we didn't. <laughs> We were in tears when I read his message, and we thought about it overnight. We woke up, and we looked at each other and said, what do you think? And we said, first of all, the answer is yes, and if they're willing to do that, we should go down and speak to the group. So I asked him if we could attend, and they were ecstatic. And so we're going down in November back to Costa Rica, first time we've been back since 2014. And we're going to uh, introduce the speakers that day on a day that they're going to recognize Jordan. And I didn't know what to say to uh, Dr. Lorenzo Morales. And um, I mentioned to him some of the work we had been doing. And I, I mentioned this early detection training video that we put together for lab techs. And so I, I sent it through Messenger to him. And he came back and he said, Steve, I know. I've already seen it. I use it in my, in my classes here at the university for training lab techs. I didn't know what to say. And then I said, well, what about the Q&A with the experts? I said, we put these videos together. He goes, Steve, I share that with everybody on my social media. They've all seen it like a year ago. And I was like, I didn't know what to say. And then I said, so how about um, – the, the, the amoeba summits that we've had, you know, those are our recorded. He goes, Steve, I've already shared all of that with every lab I go to. He said, this is something that everybody needs to be aware of. And lo and behold, uh, last fall, uh, he was speaking in, uh, I think he was in Barcelona, and a doctor approached him after the class and said, um, I've got a patient 
with exactly those symptoms. Well, on his own dollar, he bought a plane ticket to Madrid, drove to her hospital, took a look at the sample, and identified Nigleria fowleri in it. And she became a survivor last fall. She was a 10-year-old girl that swam in a pool, and she survived. And I asked him how she was doing, and he said, well, she's going back to school. Uh, she's taking some speech therapy that when the amoeba actually gets inside the brain, it starts de destroying tissue. So it can destroy a lot of different things. Um, there was a girl that survived in 2013 in Arkansas, and she went through 50 weeks of physical therapy because they found it rather quickly in Sebastian's case. He only went through two weeks of physical therapy. The girl in Spain, I think they said she went through three or three and a half months of physical therapy, and she's gone back to school. In the past, usually a first child has to die because the healthcare team is not expecting to run into this. But once you lose a child to it, you look for it every single time. And that's how Kaylee survived because two boys died two years before she came in from the same park. And now I think this is one of the first cases where the first survivor, nobody preceded them with a negative outcome case and made them aware of it. So I thought that was awesome. Steve, that's incredible. I mean, what an unbelievable story. I mean, in the truest sense of the world, the word, Jordan was this girl's guardian angel. I mean, seriously, because, but for your efforts through Jordan's foundation, it sounds like this result may not have had a happy ending that it did. And it just shows the incredible strength that you and Shelly have had to take the loss of your son and turn it into something fantastic for humanity. And I would just like to tell the audience that this is exactly what Steve and Shelly did to me and my family, Debbie, through Grief Share. And I have to tell you, we have to take a quick break, and I want to tell you the story when we come back, how Steve and Shelly through Grief Share really changed our lives and our journey of losing our son, Matt. Again, thank you for listening. We'll be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com again that's jeff spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info 
at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. You are tuned into What My Son's Death by Suicide Taught Me About Life. If you'd like to send Marshall Adler a question or comment that can be addressed privately or on a future program, please send an email to marshalontheradio at gmail.com. That's marshalontheradio at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. We're back, and again, thank you for listening. Uh, I want to tell you a very amazing story. Uh, Grief Share was literally a course with a book and lessons and homework dealing with the grief process. And the way the course ended is we all wrote notes to our departed loved ones and went to a big bonfire to throw the notes into the bonfire and the smoke would hopefully go up and be a message to our lost loved ones. I will tell you that this course and the way it ended did change our lives. We know for a fact that Matt listened to a particular song. If you may know, it's called Never My Love by the association it came out in 1967. We had forensic experts go through his cell phone and his computer and we know absolutely positively, 100%, without any uncertainty, that there was the last song he listened to on this planet. My wife, Debbie, in her note to Matt, before she threw the note into the bonfire, wanted Matt to send a sign to us that he was okay. After we threw the note into the bonfire, we gave everybody a hug, including Steve and Shelley, because the course was over. We have satellite serious radio with 12 million channels on different subjects, sports, news, you name it, rock and roll, country. We go into the car and we just turn on the radio just to hear what's on. And as soon as we turn the radio, the announcer makes the announcement, I've got a great song here I want you to listen to, Never My Love by the Association, 1967. And being a lawyer, I always look at evidence and what does the evidence show? What are the facts? And I looked at Debbie and I'm going, are you kidding me with all the channels, all the songs? What were the odds that after you just asked Matt for a sign with that note, put in the bonfire that we go into the car and the announcer just purely announces that song to be heard. And it really meant so much to us that truly Matt is contacting us. And I think I've told this story before. I actually heard uh, Paul McCartney recently on a interview, how he still has a relationship with John Lennon, who obviously he knew since he was a young boy with the Beatles. And he comes to him in his dreams. And I've told Steve that I do have a relationship with my son, Matt, now through my dreams. And this just was an amazing 
thing for me to discover because I never thought about afterlife. I never believed in afterlife until I lost my son. So this has been part of our journey that I never expected or thought would happen. And my question to you, Steve, is how have you and Shelly from the spiritual side dealt with the loss of Jordan and what are your thoughts on afterlife? Because mine have changed. I was not, I did not believe in afterlife before Matt's passing. And I do now. That's an interesting question. Um, I would say that Shelly has been much more spiritual since we had gotten together. Um, she always believed in God. She believed in Jesus. She wanted me to. I was exposed to it as a young kid. My mom had my brother and I go to church probably our first 12 or 13 years before we were able to talk our way out of Sunday church. And I kind of stepped away from it for a lot of my life. And Shelly had asked me to go back to church uh, with Jordan, and we never did. And I would say, like you, my thoughts and feelings about what comes after this completely changed after I lost Jordan because 11 and a half years was not enough. I wanted more and eternity would be awesome. And it's completely changed my focus. Shelly has struggled from that, whereas she believed before she struggled with, you know, why did God let this happen? So I think for her, it's been a much more difficult journey. Um, but from the things that have happened to us and things, the doors that have opened for the foundation and some of the things that we're doing, I mean, we know that's not normal. In a, in a normal business world, that doesn't happen. And we both know it. We've been there and we look at each other and just smile and say, all right, we step through, we go. So we've both gotten to the point now where we are eventually looking forward to that day. What, what signs do you think you received from Jordan on this journey? We have received a lot of, um, a lot of thoughts. Um, Jor Jordan and I were, we used to play around and do a lot of things and I've only had two dreams since Jordan died. And I woke up the first time in like two seconds. I was so excited to see him. The second one lasted a little bit longer. Shelly's only had three, uh, but he comes to our sister-in-law, Sally, all the time. And we, we've been jealous because we wanted those <laughs> dreams and to see him and talk to him again. And, and she comes back, she, she goes, you know, he came to me and he said, we need to open a store to give back to kids. And so she called me the next day and said, Jordan came to me in a dream. And I remember saying, you got to be kidding. I, I haven't had any yet, and he's coming to you. And she smiled and she said, we need to do a toy store. We're going to give away gently used and new toys for kids for Christmas who are in need. Then she called me the next day and I was, first of all, we're trying to figure out how you'd even do that. And she goes, I'm sorry. He came back to me last night and he said, not a toy store, a sporting goods <laughs> store. And so she said, we're going to do gently used and new sporting goods. And we're called Jordan Sporting Goods Store. And he came back the third night. She kept calling me and I was getting even more jealous. And she goes, 
this will be fine. And I think we had 220 kids come through that first year. We did it up in Hartford, Connecticut, and we've been doing it ever since. Wow, that's fantastic. So, again, Jordan has been a guardian angel for other children who would not otherwise have the ability to enjoy sporting goods, but for his kindness and the kindness of you and Shelly. That's wonderful. But let me ask you something that I know you and I have talked about. We've become very good friends since uh, Matt's passing. And it's interesting because I, when I first, I don't know if I ever told you this, when I, when you first started telling the story of Jordan, I remember reading about it, the media in Orlando, and it just sort of resonated with me again that we're all going to be on the journey of grief at some time in our life. It's just the reality of it. And I think for me and, and Debbie and my family, we knew that as a tribute to Matt, we had to deal with grief head on, go through the process as part of our journey to lead productive, meaningful lives as a tribute to our son, Matt. And you and Shelly and the folks at Grief Share have been unbelievably helpful with that. And I know you and I have talked about this sometimes that we'd be at Grief Share and you'd see the people in the meetings dealing with their journey. And it was sad to see. And then you'd go out in the world and you'd say, oh, there's other people. I guess they don't deal with grief. And now I think, no, many of them have dealt with grief. And if they haven't, unfortunately, they will. And so this is an important question I want to ask you because you've been so kind to us after our journey began with Matt's passing, is that what can you tell somebody just starting out on the grief process? Because the first part of it is just brutal. I'm talking on the radio now, and I will tell you for two weeks after Matt's passing, I couldn't talk, period. So you have been such a expert to us to guide us through this journey that unfortunately we know that there are people that are just starting out on this journey. And what words of wisdom can you give them at this point? I, I would, so for us, it was a very difficult, so Jordan is our only child. Uh, we started late in life, and we immediately went from a child going into sixth grade over the summer vacation to an empty nester. We tried some counseling. It didn't seem to work with us. And by God's grace, we found grief share at one of the churches, and we had a couple excellent um, facilitators who led it, and they really helped us through that first year. That Those first few weeks after the loss – is very difficult and you're in shock for about seven to 10 days of it. And then it wears off and it is very depressing. It is, it's all consuming, um, very difficult to even consider going back and working and trying to be semi-normal. I took three months off after Jordan died. and I, I didn't go back to work for a while and Shelly took three and a half off. Uh, actually I took six and she took three and a half half days. And it was all she could do to get through it for the first six months. 
what they don't tell you, or nobody, well, there is no class on grief. Nobody teaches it. In fact, nobody wants to talk about it because you're afraid it'll happen to you. But those first few weeks of grief, you're wondering if you're going crazy. You can't sleep. You forget to eat. You lose your car keys all the time, and it takes you forever to go anywhere because you got to look for your car keys. You forget to eat. You forget to sleep. You can't sleep. You wake up in the middle of the night. Usually, you can get two to three to four hours, and then you're once you wake up, you know you're up, so you just get up. And At that time, I was reading a couple books. I was looking things up on the amoeba that Jordan died from. You have to put your effort somewhere and you feel like your brain is mush. You can't remember things. People will tell you things and you'll, you'll forget them immediately. Um, the one thing I will say is there is no right or wrong. Everybody's journey is different because your relationship with your loved ones is unique. Nobody else has that relationship. Your journey will be different than your wife's. Mine will be different than my brother's. Um, everyone is different. There's no right or wrong. You have to do what feels right for you and just realize that it's a journey and it's going to be probably for the rest of your life because you can never get over not being with your loved one. That's interesting because it's so true because I've talked to so many people that are on different journeys. You and I have a lot of similarities in a sense. We both lost sons. And as fathers, there's obviously a connection with a son. You want somebody that looks like you, that sounds like you, that does things that you like doing. And that's what fathers and sons are all about. And I know for mothers, it's obviously a different dynamic because they're the mothers. They carried this human being for nine months and got attachment that a man never never would. And I think the one thing that Debbie and I learned through this is just to be as kind to each other as possible. Because I, before that passed away, I knew the worst thing that could ever happen to anybody is losing a child. And after experience a loss of a child, yes, I was right. There's nothing, nothing worse than losing a child, but we, and I know you and Shelly, have made the affirmative decision to live our lives, again, as a tribute to our wonderful children. And I think that, and I've said this before, that Matt was a gift from God for 32 years, and Jordan was a gift from God for, for 11 years. And they both did incredible things while they were here, and I think through your work, through my work, Shelly, Debbie, our family's work, their good work that they did while they were here will continue. And I know you and I have said this, we want to make sure that people will never forget how wonderful our children were, are, and this is something that I feel so fortunate to be the father of such a wonderful son, and I, I know you feel the same way. I just want to thank you so much for being a guest today. I want to thank you so much for all the help you've given to me and to Debbie and our family. You've become a lifelong friend, and I would 
implore everybody to please to go to the foundation. Like somebody wants to look at the foundation, where, where would they be able to find the foundation? It would be under the Jordan Smelsky Foundation.org. Uh, and on Facebook, it's the Jordan Smelsky Foundation. I'm amazed all the fantastic work that this foundation has done. And I implore everybody to please go get involved and help Steve and Shelley keep the good work that is being done through the foundation. So again, I'd like to thank Steve for being a guest today. I'd like to thank Steve for all the help he has given to me, Debbie, and, my, and our family through this grief process. And I want to thank you for listening today. And again, I want to close that if you or a loved one or anybody you know is struggling, please get help immediately from a medical or mental health expert or, or contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Again, I'd like to thank Steve so much for being a guest today. His insight and kindness and humanity is something that I will keep with me the rest of my life. And I hope that you got a small glimpse as to what a wonderful human being Jordan and his parents, Steve and Shelley, are. And I hope that you enjoyed today's episode, and we will be talking to you next week. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to What My Son's Death by Suicide Taught Me About Life. We hope we've given you some insight concerning the issues of surviving and thriving after the suicide death of a loved one during our program today. Please join your host, Marshall Adler, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hope you have a good week.